Oh, thank you, guys. They turned on the monitor here so I could see it. That reminds me of the older gentleman. These two older guys were talking. And I said, man, I can't hear thunder. Can't half see. Got false teeth. Artificial knee. So many things wrong with me, but I tell you, I sure am glad I still got my driver's license. <laughs> and Miss Doris, I got to apologize. They did have coffee. It was hiding way back in the corner. John asked me, said, what, what are you going to preach on? I said, well, gluttony might be a good topic. <laughs> Thank you all for that wonderful dinner. Thank you for inviting me to come back and speak. It's, it's, it's a joy to go back and visit folks that you love and appreciate and that I think love and appreciate you. So it's great to be here. In first, uh, Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, the Apostle Peter, as he begins this second epistle, talks about the exceeding great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Exceeding great and precious promises. And one might read through Second Peter and find a number of those great promises. And we're going to talk about one of those tonight. What is your technique for, there we go, what is your technique for remembering things? Post-it notes, writing post-it notes, or telling your wife, remind me. Yeah. Or do you tie a string around your fingers like Uncle Billy did in the movie, It's a Wonderful Life? Or maybe... If you're living in the 21st century, you use your telephone, your phone, put, mem put messages on your phone. What is your technique for doing that? I used to write myself notes, but the problem was I forgot where I put them. But we all are need these reminders. Why was Peter's reminder needed? Because in that reading, it talks about Peter was going to leave a reminder of some things. Look, look at it again, Second Peter 1 verses 12 through 15. For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present, I'm, I'm going to remind you of something. You already know them, but I'm going to remind you, and as long as I'm in this tent, I'm going to continue to remind you, knowing that I must shortly put off my tent, but I'm going to be careful to ensure that even after I'm dead and gone, you will have a reminder. That's what this is. The reminder that Peter left us. God's Word, the Bible, reminds, uh, provides for us a perpetual reminder of some great and profound and eternal truths. And we want to look at that today. Why was Peter's reminder needed? Well, first off, man is in general a forgetful creature. Our own experience certifies that. You know, sometimes we talk about getting old and being forgetful. Most of us were forgetful when we were five years old. How many times, Mom and Dad, did you have to run to, run to town and carry the kids' lunch to them or lunch money or whatever? Just the other day, one of ours went off and got their soccer cleats at home, so we had to go get them, run them. How many times did Mom say to you, you'd forget your head if it wasn't attached to your body? We are, by nature, a forgetful creature. 
That is, we are reminded of that with every forgotten appointment, every forgotten duty, every forgotten daily task, every birthday or anniversary that we forget, every fact or detail, and this is one that really gets to me, every fact or detail or story that just escapes you. You know, it's, it's bad when you start telling a story and you have to stop and say, now where was I going with that anyway? Every forgotten story, every person's forgotten, every forgotten name that just will not float to the top. You know them, you see them, you recognize them, you know, you've known them for years. That's what you got a wife for, guys. Mary, who was that guy? We are by nature a forgetful creature. So we need reminders. Well, let's look at what comes before and what comes after Peter's reminder here. When he says, I I, I want to remind you of some things, you know them, and I'm going to keep on reminding you, and I'm going to make it possible to be reminded after I'm dead and gone. Let's look at what comes before and what comes after. Notice what comes before. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and following. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have attained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us by glory and virtue, by which you have been given, has been given to us exceeding great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, having giving all diligence, add diligence, means a constant careful, careful effort. Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, You will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That's what comes before Peter saying, I'm going to remind you of some things. Keep on reminding you and have it where you'll be reminded after I'm dead and gone. The first thing he wants them to remember is he gives them an exhortation to growth. Be diligent with respect to matters of faith and growth. Somebody once said, if you stop growing, you start dying. Well, I think that's true. That's true physically. It's true spiritually. When we quit, when we quit seeking to grow in our relationship to God, in our relationship to the church, when we quit quit trying to grow in our relationship to one another and to God, uh, the end will become a little more focus. An exhortation to growth and to faith. That's what comes before Paul, Peter says, I'm going to remind you of some things, keep on reminding you, and leave it so you will have a reminder. But then notice what follows. A lengthy warning about false teachers, Second Peter chapter 2 and chapter 3. Now, we're going to read all of that. I invite you to do that when you get home this afternoon. 
maybe before you go to bed tonight, after you take your nap from this great meal, there's this lengthy exhortation about false teachers. Peter even reminds us of the source of what Peter has taught as he deals with these false teachers. He prefaces, prefaces his remarks in 2 Peter 1 and verse 16, telling them where all of this information came from. For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. All of this is eyewitness stuff. I, I saw it. I know it happened. He goes on to say, For he, we, he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. You remember that was when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter, James, and John, and the heavens opened, and God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Later he added to that, Listen to him. Peter was there. Peter saw that. He goes on to say, And we heard his voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Knowing this verse, that no prophecy of scripture is of any private interpretation or private origin, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved, or spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Peter says, look, the things I want to talk to you, they, they didn't come, they're not mine. I didn't originate them. They came to me by the Holy Spirit. And these false teachers did not get their information that way. And so he follows this up with this lengthy discussion of false teachers. It then is evident, or rather manifest, that we need to read and study Peter's word in the Bible that this promise of a reminder of things of God has been fulfilled. Because here it is. Do we need the same reminders today? It's a good question, isn't it? Do we need the same reminders today that they needed? I don't think we're any more or less forgetful than they were. I suspect we're pretty much like they were. I dare say I wouldn't be a bit surprised that Paul had an appointment to preach at a certain place and forgot it. Went, went on about his business, just forgot it. Peter had a wife and mother-in-law, and I, I wouldn't be surprised at what he forgot somebody's birthday along the line. He was a forgetful creature, just like we are. Do we need the same reminders today that Peter was giving these brethren? Yes, we do. We need constant reminders to faithfulness and to spiritual growth. Let's just flip through a couple of passages. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. In fact, we're going to read three lists of things to which we are exhorted to grow or to do. Galatians 5, 16 through 26. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. Let me stop here just a minute. Have you ever noticed, and I mentioned it earlier, 
You know, I was this many years old before I noticed it. Every list like this in the Bible, you know what it begins with? A sexual sin. I don't know what all that implies, but it's something to think about it. Every list begins with a sexual sin. He says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I told, tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't do those things, Paul says. In contrast, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Now, would anybody say, I've got that list down pat. I have consistently avoided all the things he said don't do, and I have consistently achieved all the things he says to do. Would there be anybody in this room that would stand up and say, that's me. As the old King James said, I trow not. I don't think so. But let's look at uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 16 through 26. I'm sorry, Ephesians 4, 25 to 32. I knew that wasn't right when I said it. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Qualities of the new man in Christ that are to be put on. Qualities of the old man that are to be taken off and put away. And again, do we need these reminders? Is again, is there anyone in this room who will say, yep, that list too, I got it down. All the things that we're supposed to put off, I took care of that years ago. I've got it all together. All of these things were supposed to be. I got it. Do we need these reminders? I think so. What about First Peter chapter one, Second Peter chapter one, verses five through eleven? But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, which we read a moment ago, add to your faith virtue, moral excellence. To virtue, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, perseverance. Perseverance, godliness. To godliness, brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness, love. And then the exhortation. If these things are in you, you're not unfruitful. 
Your life is not barren. Surely that those three readings will tell us that we need those reminders too. Then there's the matter of false teachers that Peter brings up. We start talking about false teachers and somebody's going to hurl that hated epitaph at us. Oh, you're judging. You know what, brethren? You know what my answer to that is? Yeah. You're exactly right. And you know why? Because the Bible tells me to. Prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. Try the spirits, whether it be of God, John says, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Some people, it seems, act as though there's no such thing as a false teacher anymore. Well, brethren, they are alive in a well in Bowling Green, Kentucky, just as they are in Columbia, Tennessee, and everywhere else. But the words of Jesus ring true here in John chapter 7, verses 13 to 23, which is in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew, what did I say? Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 to 23, where he himself warns us against false teachers. Somebody says, it's not Christ-like to judge that way. Well, I'm sorry. My Savior, the Jesus that I try to serve, he did it. Chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Or verse 13 to 23. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and there be many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Now, like I do my students at School of Preaching, I want to exhort and urge you to learn to read and ignore the verse divisions. And the chapter divisions, they weren't in the Bible to start with. They were added in the 1200s, later in the 1400s. They were revised. 1200 years after the Bible was written, they put the verses in. They're not inspired. Learn to ignore them. Read to the punctuation and to the context. So Jesus talks about entering the straight gate and avoiding the wide way. It's not by coincidence that he immediately launches into a discussion of false teachers. Why? Because the false teachers want to get you on that wide way, get you off the narrow way, onto that wide way, get you off the wide, narrow way that leads to life and get you on that wide way that leads to destruction. Listen to the very next verse. Beware, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits you shall know them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven... Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. He follows it up by telling us, the wise man is the man who hears his sayings and does them. Men still seek to have their ears tickled and to be turned away from the truth, Second Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 4. 
Again, would anybody here make the claim that there are no such, there's no such thing as false teachers anymore? I'll share you this little piece of information. I don't even remember what station it was on. I don't remember the man's name. I don't even remember what he was talking about. I was kind of hustling to get ready to come up here this morning. And we turned the TV on to catch the weather. After the weather went off, this religious fellow came on. I hate to call him a preacher. He came on. And as he was talking down at the bottom, it had an address and it said, Sow your $1,000 seed and see the fruit that it will produce. (laughs) Right. I think that's in uh, Paul's third letter to Timothy. Sow that $1,000 seed and see what kind of fruit it produces. Brethren and beloved, false teachers are there. And we should not be turned from the truth to fables. We still need to be building our house on the rock, Matthew 7, 24 to 29. We still need to be following Jesus, not what the religious world tries to teach us. Look at John chapter 8 for just a minute. We can all quote John chapter 8 and verse 32. You know, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. But what we need to do with that is we, we need to quote a little more. Sometimes it will really be helpful if we just quote a verse or two before and a verse or two after. John chapter 8, beginning with verse, I'll get there in a minute. Verse 31. Now we're going to be looking at 32. But notice 31. Then Jesus said to the Jews who believed, If you shall abide in my word, if you abide in my my word, if, well, that's a big word, isn't it? If, if you abide in my word, and this is one of those classic if-then statements. Back when uh, I was much more interested in and involved in trying to ascertain the logic of the Bible, I started looking for how many if-then statements there are in the Bible. If this, then this. This, therefore that. If this, then that. This, therefore that. That's what you call in logic a classic modus ponens argument. If this happens, then that's going to happen. That happened, then this is going to happen. Notice Jesus says, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now the converse of that is also true. If you no longer abide in my word, then you're no longer my disciples, and you will not know the truth, and you will not be free. You don't abide in his word? But we still need to be abiding in the word. You want freedom in Christ? You must abide in the word. Then you are his disciple. Then the truth will set you free. Yes, we need a constant reminder to faithfulness and to growth. But what about the other reminders? What other reminders do we need? Well, first off, brethren, we need to be reminded constantly of who created this world and who's in control of it. 
I don't know what y'all studied in your vacation Bible school last week, but we did not have a full-fledged VBS this year at Spring Hill, but we had what they called, and I thought this was kind of creative, a Bible bash. We came to the building about uh, 5 o'clock Friday afternoon, 5 or 6 o'clock Friday afternoon, stayed till about 10 o'clock, came back the next morning, stayed till noon, then had a nice meal afterward, and we studied about Noah's Ark. Apologetics Press had some great material on their vacation Bible school material. I highly recommend it. It's not dated. You could study it next year or the year after. Great material. By the way, I don't work for Apologetics Press. But it was a great way to be reminded of who created this world and who is in control of this world. And the fact that he, he purged this world by water once a long, long time ago. It's great material. We need to be reminded constantly of who's in control of this world. And back during the time of the, when the COVID was really, you know, knocking us for a loop, and everybody was praying about that thing, and everybody was wondering, about, what's the government going to do? What's this? And occasionally I was brought back to earth when somebody would post on my Facebook page, remember that God is in control. He's got this. He's got it. You know, there's some things we just really don't need to worry about. Uh, floods are coming. Rain is raining so hard. We left the house this morning. Floods are coming. Well, so <laughs> if it comes, we'll deal with it. We can't control that that stuff. God's in control. We need to be reminded of that. He created this world, and He's got He's got it under control. And let's quit worrying about things we we can't control. I. I probably need to turn the television off. I watch, I watch way under too much political commentary. You know, it causes my blood pressure to go up. You know, I have to raise my dosage of amlodipine so that my blood pressure will come back down. Probably need to turn that thing off because they get you all stirred up about things you can't control. Stock market went down 500 points. What do you want me to do about it? I'm not in control over that. Just let it ride. Point being, God is in control. Now, militant atheism and militant secularism seeks to destroy faith in God as the creator. They want you to believe that you have no control. They want to make your life miserable. But if we believe and we're reminded that God is in control... We'll be a lot better off. Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 is still as true as now, now as it ever was. In the beginning, God, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the earth. And God said, let there be light. The same God that did that is in control of this world today. And we need to be reminded of that. All that exists was brought forth by the creative act of God. All of it. Why is that important? Because rejection of that truth changes everything. Whether you believe that God created this world or not changes everything. Changes how you look at life. Changes what you do with your life. It even changes what you enjoy in life. Yeah. I tell you what, uh, somebody asked me the other day, or it was on my Facebook page, said, uh, 
What do you think is the worst invention that's ever been invented? What would you, how would you answer that question? You know what my answer was? Now, somebody posted a light bulb because I once said in, in a lesson that the light bulb was not really all that good a thing because it allows us to work 24-7, and man isn't designed to do that. But you know what the worst invention ever was? Television. Television. Television is an open sewer pumping moral sewage into our homes. That's the worst invention that was ever made. Now, it could have been a wonderful thing if it was used properly. And like I said a while ago, you sit there and you watch it, and before you know it, you're going to be so frustrated and so upset with the world. You wanted. There was a movie out many years ago, Stop the World, I Want to Get Off. You ever felt that way? Television, turn it off. Get your Bible out and read it. Let your faith in God be reinforced. Rejection of the truths of Genesis 1 and 2 changes everything. Look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 27. A passage that we're all very familiar with. God's creating, uh, God's uh, epitome of his, of his uh, apox of his creative action. And God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Militant atheism and militant secularism wants you to forget that passage. Think about the things that have transpired because they've convinced us we're not a create we're not a creation of God. We're a creation of evolution. I've said this many times from this pulpit. If we teach our children that they're nothing more than an animal brought into existence by a blind chance, why should we we expect them to act like anything but an animal? Why get upset when they do? And if we ignore the fact that God created a male and female, look what happens to our world. I get kind of tickled at people that say, well, a homosexual character on that show, I ain't going to watch it anymore. Did you write a letter and tell them why? Because if you don't, they don't know that you're not watching it anymore. It won't do any good. We've let, we've let the secular and militant atheists, militant seculars and atheists, rob us of our eternal identity. The rejection of the truths contained in that one verse have led up down the path to no respect for life. I'll remind you of this story, those of you that have been around. We were here in, in, in uh, Kentucky. We were actually in Elizabethtown. First year we were here, we decided we'd go to the Kentucky State Fair. Big state fair. We're not even having one in Tennessee this year. But we went up there to Freedom Hall. You know, hundreds of exhibits. Mary and I were walking around, and we came to this exhibit. I don't know what the group was that had it, but it was an exhibit promoting abortion. All kinds of literature out here promoting abortion. And I thought it was kind of ironic. It was manned by a lady, a female person. So I picked some of it up and I said, uh, are these free? She said, yes. 
I said, can I ask you a question? She said, sure. I said, you're, you're, you're a female. How can you promote this? How can a woman kill her own baby? No answer. I pressed a little bit. Now, Mary had walked a few feet in front of me. And I, I, pressed, I pressed her a little further. And I said, I really, you know, you're here with all of this information promoting abortion. Please justify this to me. How can you, a woman with the ability to be a mother, justify killing her own child? She said, will you please move on? I said, well, I'm just trying to find an answer. I asked her again. About that time, Mary comes and grabs him by the arm and says, come on, let's go. Never did get an answer. But I would still like to have an answer to that question. How can that happen? You know, look at these beautiful babies here. How can you imagine, justify, and especially when you see the end product of an abortion? It is gruesome. It is gruesome. And yet, it's my right. What about that baby's right? But we have bought as a society that Genesis 1.27 is not true. The rejection of that truth has led us down the primrose path to no respect for life. In addition to that, we know about abortion. In addition to that, the riots we witnessed last, last uh, summer, where there was no respect demonstrated for other people or their property, Genesis 1.27 would solve that problem. You're created in the image of God. Why would I want to hurt you? Why would you want to hurt me? And Jesus' words, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Put that with it, man. Secondly, we need to be reminded of how to have the abundant life. And what is really important in life. You remember Jesus in Matthew chapter 10 and verse, or John chapter 10 and verse 10 said that he came to give us life and that life more abundantly. He who dies with the most toys wins. That's the prevailing philosophy in the world today. He who dies with the most toys wins. No, not at all. Remember what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. As his divine power has given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue. I started to preach another sermon from uh, one of Peter's promises. Flip back to 1 Peter chapter 2. The title of the sermon is Have a Good Day. How many times do you hear that in a day? How many times do you say it in a good day, in a day? Notice what this passage says. First Peter chapter 1. Let me find it. Chapter 3, rather. Verse 10. Let's go back to verse 8. Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this and you may inherit a blessing. Catch it now. And he who would love life and see good days. Isn't that a great idea? Love life. See good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil. Guard your speech. Let him turn away from evil and do good. 
Just do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Fill your life with good works. Do good. And for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who are evil. Fill your day with prayer. Guard your words. Do good. Fill your day with prayer. Have a good day. No extra charge for that sermon. You can fill it out as you will. But the point being here, we need to be reminded of that abundant life and how to get it. Let us seek to build our house on the rock of Jesus Christ. Only then will it survive the storms of life that will surely come our way. Number three, we also need to be reminded of the purpose of life. One more. And our purpose in life is to glorify God. It's not to gain the most toys. Now, don't misunderstand. When I go to buy a car, I want to buy a good one. I want to buy one that looks good, rides good, got a good air conditioner, got all the bells and whistles. I like those things. We all like those things. But that's not the purpose. That's not the goal in life. Our purpose in life is to glorify God with our lives and let others see God living in us. Back again to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, that's what we are. We're just passing through. We're just pilgrims. Abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak evil, or speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. We need to be reminded of the purpose of life. I wonder, as Peter wrote 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, which we read just a moment or two ago, where it says, be, and we're, not so, we're just sojourners, having your conduct honorable, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 14 to 16, you're the light of the world, salt of the earth. Let your light so shine that when men see it, they're compelled to glorify the Father in heaven. Now, number four, we need to be perpetually reminded of our destiny as God's creation. Again, First Peter chapter three, or chapter one, verses three through nine. First Peter chapter three, verses three through nine. This exhortation. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, that you have this, this inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fades not away, Kept by the power of God in this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. The hammer set across Mary and myself at, as we were eating, and they know, and some of you, the rest of you know, Mary and I love to travel. Uh, for many years, we always flew southwest. Now, if you've ever flown southwest, you know how it works. 
you get a boarding pass that has a group, A, B, or C, and a number. You don't get a seat, and they'll call group A, you know, 1 through 30 up, and then they'll call group A, one, uh, group 1, how do they do it? Group A, and then group A, 1 through 30, group A, 31 through 60, and you got to go up there and line up, and buddy, it's Katie bar the door. Whoever gets to that seat first, it's yours. I told Mary, I got to tell him, Mary, I said, okay, it's about uh, 10 minutes to, to boarding time. Cattle call! <laughs> we have gotten to the point now to where we want to fly with a carrier that says, your seat is B1 and 2. We want to know we got a reserved seat. Peter says that inheritance, incorruptible and undefiled, that does not fade away, is reserved in heaven, kept by the power of God. We need to be perpetually reminded of our destiny as God's creation. Finally, brethren, take note of Peter's words in 1 Peter 1, 12 to 15. 1 Peter 1. I'm sorry, Second Peter 1, 12 to 15. For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know them and are established in the present truth. I think it is right, as long as I'm in, in this tent, to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent, just as Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure you, assure that you always have a reminder of these things after my deceits. As Peter contemplated his own demise, we were reminded of our mortality. My end is coming, Peter says, but I want to make sure you have this reminder. I'm going to remind you, and I'm going to keep on reminding you, and even after I'm dead and gone, I'm going to leave this reminder for you. With the reminders we have noted and many others, the realization does not bring despair that we're going to die. Oh, we've been gone from here. We're starting our fifth year, well, four and a half years. And unfortunately, there have been some who were here. Every time the doors were open when we were here before, they passed on. We moved back to a place where we lived for 17 years. It wasn't long after I moved back, I found this group of old guys. I went anyway, even though they were old. We meet three times a week, and we sit around and cure all the problems of the world. But you know, it's amazing. We cure them, and then the next time we come together, they're still there. But anyway... Five years ago, we started doing that. In that five years, three of those guys that were there when I first started going there, they're dead and gone. You know, that's a reality, isn't it? We went yesterday to a celebration of life with the mother of one of our classmates. We sat next to another of our classmates from Central High School. We graduated in 1967. And Betty has been really good. She formed a Facebook page. She's been really good to keep us aware of, of the news among our classmates. But, you know, we don't have news from our classmates anymore about births. But we have a lot of news about sickness and death. It is appointed that man wants to die. Then comes the judgment. But we have hope. We have hope.
because of the surety of God's exceedingly great and precious promises. Read Second Peter this evening and pick them out. The exceeding great and precious promises. It is our hope this evening that you have made proper response to the reminders that Peter and others have given you of the purpose of life to glorify God, of our destiny, and our need to be constantly reminded of these things. If you're subject to the invitation of God this evening, we encourage you to come to the front, make your need known as we stand together and sing the song selected.